Do you know what that thing right there is called, you guys? That, that's called a sermon bumper. I didn't, I didn't know what sermon bumpers were. I didn't know my sermons needed a bumper, but apparently... Um, <laughs> no, that's just a way of introducing the series that we've been in for the past now four weeks. And it's also a time to call everybody back together. You guys did a great job this morning. Usually, usually we're pretty like rowdy and rebellious, and we just ignore that, and we just keep talking, but... Everybody's just pretty chill this morning. Good morning. My name is Jay Duncan. It's good to have you here at New Life Midtown. And uh, one of the things that we do here, amongst the many things that we do as a church family, is that we open up by a proclamation. And so when I say Christ is risen, I'm just going to ask all of you in agreement to just declare he is risen indeed. So church, on this beautiful Sunday morning, I announce to you today that Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. And let that truth shape our lives. The hope of the resurrection and the power of the spirit that is available to us today is greater than any force on the planet. Amen? And it anchors our soul that when the shifting sands of the culture and then the waves of opposition come against us, we can stand firmly and declare that the God who has defeated death and the God who has defeated Satan himself is the God who raises the dead and he is the Lord that we serve and he's the reason why we gather together. And it is a pleasure and it's an honor, you guys, to stand before you today and, uh, and to worship the living God with you and to preach the scriptures to you. If you're here with today for the very first time, I just welcome you. I pray that you have a warm, welcoming, inviting experience in our family. This is our home and you are welcome in our home. In fact, if you are here today for the first time, right after service where you walked in, we have a welcome center. And it's just an opportunity for you to make a personal connection with some of the people that serve diligently here in our church. It's a place where you can ask questions or get direction for next steps. And we welcome you to come to our Welcome Center after service. Well, um, I'm not going to lie. I'm just, I'm just a tad bit uh, thin this morning, not physically. Um, I just came back with a team of nine guys from three different congregations in the New Life family. Uh, six of those were here from Midtown, and then we had a representative from East and one from North, and we went to the nation of Guatemala, and we served diligently. I'm telling you, you guys, Aaron, you would have been so proud. That man's going to come back a different man. Aaron Florian's husband came on the trip with us, and he actually stayed behind for a few days because he's from Guatemala, so we dropped him off at his family's house. I got to meet his mom and his sister and his nephew. We took a picture together in front of his home, but we went down there to build a playground that's been sitting on the ground for the past two and a half years. New Life uh, entered into a partnership with an amazing ministry called Kids Around the World, and their ministry is to provide high-quality, like, I'm talking about the kind of playgrounds that you would find at any one of the high-end neighborhoods in our city. So these things are durable, and they're heavy. Trust me, they are extremely heavy. And, uh, man, we hit the ground running. We, We literally arrived on the site on Monday afternoon, and we jumped out, and it was go time. And we worked till about 6 or 7 every night. We were up at 5.30, we were out the door at 5.50, and we were in the sweaty, muggy, humid uh, heat for 12 hours each of those days, but the project was finished. Uh, There's about 200 children and students that are at uh, that base. It's called DAR, which is short for the District of Higher uh, Learning and Success, and it's in a very impoverished community, but I'm telling you, God is at work in that place um, so I say all that to say that the Lord is, is wonderful and he's beautiful and we at Midtown and we at North and East and all of the New Life congregations 
um, have partnered to make that a reality. So thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for uh, being a part of our global endeavor. But I'm going to give you my best this morning with uh, (laughs) limited sleep and and a lot of hard work. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We finally made it out of chapter 1 after four weeks. Uh, And we could have stayed in chapter 1 for a a long time. But Advent is coming at some point, so we need to... (laughs) We need to speed this along. Galatians chapter 2. And I'm going to read, starting at verse 15 through the remainder of the chapter. Galatians chapter 2, 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. But a person is justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? There's a lot of cultural and nationalistic, ethnic historical background that's happening here. Absolutely not. Verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord, church. Let us pray. Holy Spirit of the living God, we welcome you and we just acknowledge that you are here and that before we woke up this morning, before our worship team arrived early to go through sound check and rehearsal, before our setup team came and made this place ready for the people to gather, before this table was filled and set so that we may participate in communion, you were here. And you were calling us and you were inviting us, saying, come to my house and come to my table. I want to meet with you today. And so, Holy Spirit, we come in response to your invitation. We are not here by our own works. We are not here by our own goodness or our own righteousness. We are here in response to grace. And today we acknowledge that you are the God of grace. And we say yes to the free gift that you've given to us. Now empower each and every one of us, I pray, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do, to speak in the exact language, using the exact tones and the exact examples that each and every one of us need to hear for freedom and deliverance and life and maturity to happen in your spirit. And we pray these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guys, the the Christian life is impossible to live. It's impossible to live without Jesus. And one of the most frustrating things, I think, about trying to live the Christian life is trying to live the Christian life without the tools and the resources that have been given to us to help us live the Christian life. 
I, wanna, I just want to just get this real deep. I want to drill down. It is impossible. You, there's no such thing as a quote-unquote good Christian apart from the Holy Spirit living inside of you, guiding you into what is right and good and true, and giving you a power that is beyond the strength of your own will. Because my will is strong, y'all. My will is strong, and so is yours. Our will is strong, and we want what we want, and we're able to justify living the way that we want to live and hiding and masquerading and manipulating and covering up and, and fooling people. Guys, like you put somebody in an environment long enough, they'll figure out how to fool people. They'll figure out what, what, what gets kudos, what gets affirmed. They'll figure out, oh, so if I do this, I'll be celebrated. I'm going to do that. But on the inside, maybe there's not true, deep, liberating transformation. The Christian life is impossible to live without the life of Christ living in and through us. And so today... I'm going to preach an unpopular message. You're welcome. I want to go back here to Galatians chapter 2 because if we're not careful, there's a couple of words here that we could just easily gloss over without recognizing and realizing the full, the full ramification, the full nuance, the full meaning of what's going on, beginning again in verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. So Paul is actually, he's reflecting on an encounter that he just had with Peter. Peter is an apostle in the church that has literally just been born a few years prior. Peter is the leader of the new Christian church. He comes out of a Jewish background and inherent within this Jewish background is this sense that if I follow the law, if I live out the social and religious laws that God has built into our history of Jewish people for thousands of years, then I will be accepted or I'll be justified before God. Now, Peter gets delivered. Like, he, he recognizes and he realizes, oh, no, like, it's faith in Christ alone and what Jesus has done, and that alone is enough. I don't have to follow the law to be justified, to be accepted by God. But then something sneaky happens. Peter is hanging out with Gentiles. Gentiles don't, don't eat according to the kosher, clean Jewish diet. And so Peter's down in Antioch, man, and he's having a blast, dude. He's eating bacon, he's throwing down on shrimp, and he's like, dude, I love freedom. And then there's a couple of Jewish Christians that roll in from the mothership, from Jerusalem, and they're like, hey, let's, let's have some lunch. And then all of a sudden, something shifty happens, and Peter's like, oh, yeah. He's like, hey, you, you, you Gentiles, you go eat over there in the kids' table, and uh, we're going to eat over here in the special room. And all of a sudden, like, there's this duplicity that enters into Peter's Christian faith. Now, guys, listen, we're talking, about, we're talking about a guy who is a mature leader in the church. So none of us are exempt. We're talking about a guy who has received visions multiple times from God and who literally, 
I keep saying literally today, <laughs> who by the power of God's spirit is revealed to him that the gospel is for Jew and Gentile and God has eradicated these social lines. So we're not talking about a noob here, like somebody who's just a rookie in the faith. And yet something internally inside of Peter has not yet been healed. It's not yet been restored. It's not been resolved. And when his Jewish counterparts who come down to share a meal, enter onto the scene, Peter abdicates the conviction that he has been walking out. And that conviction is that Gentiles now, because of what Christ has done, are absolutely welcome in table fellowship and they don't have to do anything else. Nothing else is required. Peter is living on this conviction so much so that he's eating meals with them, and then he, the scripture calls him a hypocrite. And, P, and Paul stands up, and Paul rebukes him. He's like, Peter, what you're doing is wrong, and it's throwing the entire church of Antioch into confusion and into division, so much so that Barnabas, another leader of the church, Barnabas follows in Peter's footsteps, and now we've got major problems. So this is, this is kind of hiding underneath this scripture here in verse 15. We who are Jews by birth. Jews by birth implies we're accepted. We're the favored ones. God likes us. We're not, look at the language, sinful Gentiles. Right? Then in verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but they are justified by faith in Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith. Now, if you're not familiar with the word justified, it's easy again to gloss over this. But what Paul is getting at is this idea of God himself saying, you are forgiven, you are accepted, and you are welcomed. Now, I think I have a sneaky suspicion that Self-justification runs inside of the heart and mind of every human being. There's a phrase that I picked up years ago from a mentor of mine. He says, the mind will justify what the heart has chosen. The mind will justify. In other words, you can be living in absolute defiant sin. You can be... You can be doing grotesque, immoral things, and yet, if you stay in it long enough and you keep resisting the prodding of the Holy Spirit, say, hey, what, what's going on here? You know you shouldn't be here. You know you shouldn't be texting him. You know you shouldn't be calling her. You know you shouldn't be taking that money. You know you shouldn't be staying up this late. You know you should I mean, like, you, the Holy Spirit will give you those nudges to say, hey, you need to pay attention. And if you just keep resisting and ignoring and keep walking away from that, over the course of time, your mind is sharp enough, your mind is smart enough, it's clever enough that you will begin to create clever excuses that when you buy into them, they will become your new reality. They will replace truth and they will replace the convicting prodding of the Holy Spirit and you will believe them so much that you can't even see what's real and true anymore. 
And what I'm here to talk to us today about for the next few minutes is I want to talk with us about the gospel that saves us from sin. The gospel that saves us from sin. Now, if you have any kind of cultural acumen or cultural awareness at all, you may know that we're living in what's now been called either a post-Christian or a post-modern or a post-relativistic culture, which very simply means that in the day and age when my parents, we're just talking about 20 and 30 years ago, like 30 to 40 years ago, there was a sense of this is right and this is wrong. This is good and this is not good. This is beautiful. This is trash. This is true. This is false. That's not the culture that we're living in today. We are living in a culture of relativism. Relativism. And all that simply means is your truth is the truth that you set and that you determine. There is no absolute truth. There is no right or wrong. And if there is no absolute truth, then there really is no such thing as sin. Right? Because sin is... Sin is relegated to how you feel. I was reading a commentary um, a while back, and the scholar was pointing out that in the culture that we're living in now, that essentially what we've done is we've said, if it makes you feel bad, then it, it might be wrong. But if it doesn't make you, if it makes you feel good, then it's right. And in that kind of thinking, individually and, and societally, the notion of sin disintegrates. And where there is no sin, there is no need for a savior. There's no need for a savior. And so I want you to just zoom out. Like if you could, if you could just sit here in your seat and I want you to think about church environments. I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about kind of just this laissez-faire passivity, this indifference that just this malaise that creeps up on us. Where, where does that come from? It doesn't happen overnight because there was a time in our lives when every single one of us in this room who have found or were found by Christ, there was a time when the fire of God burned bright and clean in our lives. Like we weren't, we weren't impassionate. We were passionate for God. And yet over the course of time, we were lulled. Why is that? I think that our sensitivity to sin has become dull. And when our sensitivity to sin becomes dull, watch this. Our gratitude for the salvation of God becomes small, right? You're not grateful for what Christ has done if you are not deeply convinced that you absolutely need a savior. We can never lose sight of how insidious, of how invisible, of how powerful of how ugly sin is, and it lurks inside of every single one of us. Genesis 4, God himself says, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to master you. Sin desires to rule you. It desires to be your Lord. It desires to pull you into death. It wants to destroy your identity. It wants to destroy your sexuality. It wants to destroy your vision and your dream for the future. If you have a godly covenantal-based marriage, it wants to destroy that marriage because it knows if it can destroy your marriage, it has effects on your children, and now your children are stepping into life disadvantaged. 
and, it, and, and the effects that it begins to build into generations and then sin begins to work like a stronghold, like just tightening itself around generation upon generation. And then it creeps out into the very society that we live in where it shapes what happens in our media and how we report on things. It shapes what's beautiful and good in our entertainment. Like sin desires to master you. And the end of sin, the end of the road, the path where sin is taking every single one of us is death. And don't be deceived, brothers and sisters, that you go, well, well, you know, we're not divorced yet. Things are fine. I, I mean, I've not walked away from the faith. I'm fine. What path are you on based on whether or not you are living in sin or whether or not you are living in the life of the spirit. All right, let's take a look here at a couple of concepts. Beginning in Romans chapter three, Romans chapter three, verse nine. And for the sake of time, I'm, I'm probably just gonna do a lot of straight reading with very minor commentary and take us to the table as quickly as possible. Romans chapter three, verse nine. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made up the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Now, for those of you who grew up 30 or 40 years ago and, and you were well-versed in things like the Romans Road and the, the typical modern evangelical approach, like we've abandoned some of that and some of that is good. And I can talk about that more in kind of a missiological context. We've uh, we've been a little bit rigid and we've cared more about right and wrong than we have about the heart and the life of the person. That being said, we cannot go too far from like the, our moorings, right? Guys, all of humanity has been infected by the virus of sin from our founders. And we all live under its invisible, toxic presence in us and around us. Verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away and they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul is speaking to what classically has been defined as the universality of sin. Right, Not one person is exempt from the power of sin, which means that not one person is exempt from what Christ has done for us. Again, if you don't understand sin, or if we're going to be light on sin, then the cross of Christ is unnecessary. All right? you, might, you, might get to, you might get to Christmas and you know, we, we can cover up Christmas with gifts and trappings and cider and turkey. And, and then, you know, we can get to Easter and we can cover that up with candy and bunnies. And before we know it, it's like, what, what, what really is happening here? Guys, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, came to earth in the flesh, a human being, and died a bloody, brutal, unjust form of execution at the hands of his oppressors. And it was wrong. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. And he did it for every human being that has lived on this planet. And he did it unjustly, but he did it so that you and I could be justified in the sight of our God. 
Look at the next few verses here at verse 23 of the same chapter. Actually, why don't we just start on verse 21 and build up to 23. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness, what does this mean? This right standing, this being in right relationship with God. Now pause. Right relationship with God does not happen because you go to church on Sundays. Right relationship with God does not happen because you give money in the bucket and then you go sleep with your girlfriend on the weekends. Right relationship, that, that's, that, that is not right standing. That is not being in right standing with God. Righteousness with God happens not based on anything that you and I do. You and I cannot make righteousness with God happen by ourselves. Thus again, the Christian life is impossible without God. And you can, you, can, you can chameleon yourselves and you can pick up the cues, but you will never live an overcoming, victorious, triumphant, powerful, sustaining Christian life by just playing the game externally. And we're going somewhere with all this. Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Now look at this, very important here. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Is this kind of like a simple nod, like, okay, I see you. I see you, Jesus. Appreciate you. Right? No. Because faith in Jesus Christ is a one-time event that has daily implications. Another way of saying this is, there comes a time when you say yes to Jesus, and you say, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't, I can't keep playing the game. I can't keep faking everybody out. I say yes, I surrender. I surrender my rights, I surrender my privileges, I surrender my desire to you, I trust you, I believe, God, I'm, I'm sick and tired of living in torment, I'm sick and tired of sin controlling and ruling my life and making me feel awful afterwards, I'm sick and tired of sin destroying the things that I've, been, I've worked so hard to build, Jesus, you're mine, and I am yours. And then this has to flesh out, and every day then, after, faith looks like obedience to Jesus. So it begins with surrender to Jesus, and then it's lived out every day of our lives in obedience to Jesus. And this is the life of faith. It is not a mental nod. It is a daily dying to ourselves. And it is a daily saying, Jesus, I am going to be obedient to you and to what you determine and what you decide is right for my life. And I allow you to determine that for me. Let's keep reading right here. This righteousness given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Look again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right, go to Romans chapter 6. First few verses of Romans 6. Beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that may grace may increase? By no means. We, meaning those who are Christian, those who are followers of Jesus, we are those who have died to sin. Now, very important thing to recognize here. Dying to sin is not willpower. Dying to sin is not seeing how long you can go without sugar, right? Dying to sin is not beating, beating yourself, right? 
It's not torturing yourself and just kind of, I just got to be stronger in my will. You cannot live the Christian life without God himself inside of you. You cannot have God himself living the Christian life through you without you surrendering to what Jesus has done for you. Are we connecting dots? By no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live to sin any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Guys, baptism is crucial. I want to encourage you, if you've, been, if you've made a decision to live for Christ and you've not been baptized, there is something that is so powerful and prophetic. The spirit, there is something. You don't need baptize, baptism to be saved. But what I do want to say is there is, there, I just think that there is such a clean break that happens that you are standing up and you are inviting a fresh powerful wave of the spirit of God. When you go down into that water, I'm saying, you're, you're saying Jesus in the same way that you died in the same way that you hung on that tree and you broke the power of sin. I am identifying, I am uniting myself with you going into that water. And then in the same way that you defeated the power of sin, when you rose again, and when I come out of that water, I am living, I am choosing to live by the power of your spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Very popular verse that many people may have memorized over the years. And if you haven't, I encourage you to memorize it. It's a great verse to memorize. I have been crucified with Christ. How, How do we live this Christian life? If the Christian life is impossible to live, how do we live it? I hear Paul gives us the secret right here. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. There's this verse, and I had it written down. We're not going to look at it. I'll just, I'll just summarize it for you. But it's in Matthew chapter 16, and Jesus just gets done correcting Peter. And then, because Peter is saying, Jesus, I don't want you to go to the cross. Man, you're, you're, man I love you. Jesus has just told his disciples, like, hey, I'm, I'm, about, to, I'm about to die a bloody death. And I'm doing it by the will of God, and I'm surrendering to that will with joy. And Peter pulls Jesus aside, and he says, Jesus, this is wrong. You are not going to die. You cannot lay your life down. And Jesus rebukes him. He says, man, you don't have the thoughts of God in mind. You have the thoughts of the enemy in mind. And then he speaks to his disciples something that is the cornerstone of discipleship in the Christian faith. And he says this. He says, if you are going to go the distance with this thing, If you are going to live for me, if you are going to live the Christ life, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to identify as a Christian, not as kind of a national, you know, this this is a box that we check. No, like if you are going to live this thing out, he says, "You, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross in the same way that I'm taking up my cross. He took up his cross literally. I'm allowed to say at that time, that wasn't. (laughs) We take up our cross figuratively and spiritually with him and we identify with what he did literally. And he says, then you can follow me. Now look at what Paul says. 
I have been crucified. How, how do we defeat? How do we, how do we overcome these strong, powerful urges to go against the will of God in our life? How do we forgive when someone has violated us and everything inside of us wants to clamp down and just seethe and nurse that violation? On the last day that we were at our work site in Guatemala, there was a young boy, and I won't go into the depths of the story just for his dignity, but there was a young boy that was there on the property, and he had worked with us. He was about 17. He's probably 19 years old. And he had worked with us throughout the week. Sweet, sweet demeanor. I, I, as I was describing the, the, the interaction and the altercation that had taken place with Christy, I said, I want you to imagine Josiah Lockett. Just, just you, you look at this guy and you're like, man, this, this young boy is, God, he's, he's sweet and he's pure. He's just a good boy. And yet what we had come to discover is that there were years upon years upon years of undealt with unforgiveness, bitterness that had literally, that had, that had tormented this young kid. And somehow, some way, and I'm not even, I'm not even sure, guys, how, how to do this or how this works, but somehow he had learned what, what works in this environment. Somehow he had learned how to masquerade doing all the right Christian things, smiling when he needed to smile, going overboard, serving when he was asked to serve. And yet the, the young man was absolute, he was in bondage and he was tormented by a father who had left him. And so much so that there was, there was at, at the point of confrontation, deep hostility and violence that erupted out of this young boy. I told Chris, I said, I want you to imagine Josiah Lockett who turned into Bane. <laughs> like, are you getting this? I know you're not there, but I'm trying to help you understand this. And you go, that's, that's crazy. That's, that's impossible. I'm telling you, I was, with my naked eye, you guys, it's not impossible. It is, it is so possible to dupe ourselves and to dupe the world around us and leave things undealt with. Deep, dark things. And I'm telling you guys, I'm pleading with you today. The only way you deal with that sin that gives access to the rulership of the devil himself in your life is by dying with Christ. And that dying could be, I'm dying to my pride. I'm dying to my ego. I'm dying to the need to be known. I'm dying to the need to be recognized with Christ. I'm dying to the, 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 the power of the, the urges inside of me. God, I'm bringing that to you in the same way that you, somehow by the power of the spirit, you died on that cross to sin. Jesus, empower me by your spirit to die to the power of the sin in my life. Some of you guys probably deal with just intense rage, like something happens and you're, you're zero to 90 before you even know it, and before and afterwards, you're, you're, you're filled with such shame. You're filled with such regret. Guys, I, I, I identify with it. I know what you're talking about. The only way you can deal with that, you can't manage that. That's, that's, that's not going to come out of you by just, you know, more, more management, by kind of buckling down and, and 
No, no, you've got to take that thing to a cross. You've got to say, God, the rage and the anger inside of me, the control that's inside of me where I, where I start clamping down on everybody around me, guys, that needs to go to a cross. The only thing that's going to break the power of that over your life is a cross. The only thing that's going to break that selfishness inside of you to where no matter what's going on around you, that it's, it's somehow, some way, it's all about you, that you turn every story into your story, that you kind of, kind of sidestep and discount everybody else's story and you make it about yours somehow. The only thing that's going to break that is a cross. That rejection that you carry around. I, guys, this ain't in my notes. I'm just telling you. I think the Spirit of God's talking to somebody today. That rejection you carry around where you self-sabotage relationships, where it's like, I'm going to break up with you before you break up with me. You know what I'm talking about? That reje- it's, called reje- it's called a spirit of rejection. And some of us have been carrying that around for years. You've got to take that to a cross. That thing will rule, and it will ruin your life, and it will turn you into a victim. And it, it, it will be so strong where you won't even realize how you're sabotaging yourself. And you'll find people that they won't want to hang around you anymore. And then you'll blame them and you'll just go, yeah, another church that just failed me. And you'll go to another church and it'll happen again because you need to take that rejection to a cross. And you need, you need, you need, to, you need to kill that, that, that sense of victimization and rejection. You need to kill it, right, with Christ. Guys, we can, and we can go on and on and on. Addictions, strongholds, substance abuse, you got to take it to a cross. You cannot manage it. You cannot manage it. It will get you. It will rise up and it will destroy your life. And Paul's answer is this. I have been crucified. You can only live the Christian life by dying with Christ so that the life you live is a new life given to you by the power of the spirit. That is the only way to live the Christian life. Friends, would you stand with me this morning? I think it is appropriate for us to come to this table, which is one of the most physical pictures in our Christian faith and liturgy that remind us, it remind us that we are here today because a man suffered a bloody death and he suffered a bloody death because you and I deserved it. I want to encourage you, if you've, if, you've not, if you've not had the overwhelming, striking reality lately in your time with the Lord, that you deserved execution, that you deserved the death that Jesus suffered, somehow, some way, in your, in your relationship with God, I'm going to invite you, ask him to give you that revelation. I forget. I forget. Like, I'll have a couple of good days and go, oh, man, I'm doing this thing. I'm, I, I got this. I don't got this. I ain't got this. I do not have this. <laughs> and neither do you. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need Jesus crucified and risen again from the dead by the will of God and the power of the Spirit. Your marriage needs the crucified Christ 
and your marriage needs you to be crucified with Christ and to live by the power of the Spirit. Your children need you to be crucified with Christ. Kids, your parents need you to be crucified. Your friendships, the world around you. Our opinions are not going to save the world. Living as crucified with Christ and living by the power of the resurrected spirit, guiding and governing our lives, submitting to the power of the spirit is what will redeem the world. And so today, would you just, would you just follow the spirit with me into this territory and bow your heads. And today, if you're here today and you would say, I don't know Jesus like that. I have not surrendered. I have not been sensitive to sin. I've I've been cohabitating with sin. I've been nursing and nurturing the presence of sin in my life, and I've become quite comfortable with sin. But I want sin and its power in my life to be broken. And I want a new ruler in my life. I want to be crucified with Christ. And I want to live the life that Jesus lives by his spirit living in me. If that's you today, all you need to say today is yes. That's it. Yes. Jesus, I say yes to your death and your resurrection. Jesus, I say yes to your your spirit empowering me to live the life of God. I say yes to whatever difficult thing you may ask me. I say yes to you. And Holy Spirit, now, would you do what only you can do? The miraculous, transformative work of Christ being formed in us. Let it be in Christ's name. Friends, I want to invite you to come to the table of the Lord today. You can exit here on your left. You can step up, receive one of these little cups with the wafer and juice. Go back to your seat and we will all take this together as a family. Come on up. randomly as I was getting ready I I had this random thought about the table and God of all things like why why did you set up a rhythm where we take something into our body and it's 
Isn't it true that what you take into you, it sustains you, but it also, it, it changes you, right? It fuels you, it feeds you, it sustains you. And then over the course of time, it begins to work in you and it begins to change you. And I thought, of course, you've given us a picture that in order for us to live the Christ life, we, we, we don't live the Christ life at a distance. We live the Christ life by taking Christ into us. And as a result, us entering into Christ to where there is such deep union and communion that you cannot see where Christ begins and where we end. And you cannot see where we begin and he ends, that we are literally one with him. And that is what Christ has made possible. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he spoke over his disciples and he says, friends, this is my body. And it's broken. It's broken. It's shattered. It's crushed. Because you are a bunch of sinners. I mean, he didn't say it like that, but that's what he was implying. And then he said this, but I willfully and I joyfully lay my life down so that you will no longer be broken, but so that you can be whole. Friends, today it's, it's natural for sin to want to put shame on us. But what I wanna to say today is lift up your head high because shame does not fit you. And shame is not your portion. And God allowed his son to die a brutal death so that shame would be literally stripped off of your life and that you put your confidence in the fact that there's nothing that you can do to overcome shame, but that the only one that makes you clean and free from the poor choices that you have made is Jesus Christ himself. So in the name of Jesus, I declare that this is the body of Christ and it has been broken so that you may be whole. Let us take and eat. And then he took the cup and he says that this is the cup of the new covenant of forgiveness in my sins. Friends, your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven because Jesus died. And your sins have been forgiven because he's resurrected from the dead. Let us receive the cup. And praise be to God. Praise be to God. Can we just either lift our hands or clap our hands here for a moment? The subject of sin is sobering, but it's necessary to bring us into the celebration of salvation. And I'm praying that the revelation of what Christ has done for us goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And friends, today, as I send you out into the world, I send you out as redeemed ones, as ones who have been bought and purchased by the blood of Christ, as ones who are empowered by his spirit to live the life of Christ in the earth. So now today in the name of Jesus, may the Holy Spirit fill you. May the Holy Spirit cover you. May the Holy Spirit surround you. May the same life that Jesus lived on this earth be lived out in and through your lives as each and every one of us daily come to crucify our flesh with its passions and to take up the governance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And in so doing, we will see heaven invade the earth we live in. In so doing, we will see people be attracted to 
the kingdom of God in us and around us. And in so doing, we will see heaven come to earth. So may you go into the places that you're called to inhabit and be the faithful presence of Jesus in schools and workplaces and neighborhoods. In the authority of Jesus' name, we commission you to be the church in this hour.